0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for your Word. We thank you for you, for who you are, and what you are to us. We thank you, Lord, for the work you have been doing in us and through us. And Lord, and those of us who've already received Jesus as personal Savior and Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, saving us. I thank you for the transformation that you've already wrought thus far in our lives, Lord. And I do pray for anybody who's maybe having a hard time in their walk, maybe their walk hasn't been as strong as it used to be or should be. I pray for them as well, Lord, that you would draw them closer to you. Also pray for anybody who's not a believer and they don't know where they're going to spend eternity. I pray for those blinders to be removed. I pray for them to be drawn to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that whatever seed will be planted or have been planted, I pray that you prevent the enemy from trying to snatch away the seed of the word. And I do pray for the gift of teaching that you help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. I pray that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. Help us, Lord, once again, as we prayed earlier, to be sensitive to your presence. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going through uh, the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights and the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings. And on Sunday mornings, Pastor Jim, our senior pastor, teaches. Uh, We do have a a Spanish ministry as well, um, 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the youth center. So I wanted to mention that. Um, But tonight, once again, we are in Genesis. And to be specific, we are in chapter 10. And the title of the study is One Blood. And so in chapter 10, we're going to see uh, what people call the table of nations. And so this is a list of the patriarchal founders of 70 nations, which descended from Noah through his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so you'll notice that in this genealogy, that not every single person is named. And so you'll usually find that in the scriptures, not every single person in a genealogy is named. It names the 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 most important people to the story, or if they are in the lineage of Christ. You also see that some nations are still difficult to identify with their modern names. And so we may not have a name for every single nation in its modern state, but nevertheless, we'll go through this. Um, Also in this chapter, we're going to be prepared for the fourth major event. In the book of Genesis. And that fourth major event is called the dispersion. And remember that the book of Genesis is divided into two sections. Uh, the, the first section is the four major events, chapters one through 11. And then the second section is the four major people. And so once again, the four major events are the creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersion of the people at the Tower of Babel. That's in chapter 11. And then if you're curious or if you need a reminder, the four major people that Genesis covers through chapters 12 through 50 are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so we're going to be reading a lot of names and uh, I promise you there's some um, biblical application here, some application to our lives. And, you know, I'm just wondering tonight, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think many of you read ahead when you saw it, maybe saw it in the bulletin, because I-, I wonder if you read ahead and saw these names, if you would have shown up tonight, because we're going to go through these names and, um, please be nice and do not laugh as I read these names because, um, you, you probably struggle with them too. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that as we read these names over and over, we'll probably pronounce them differently every time. And, and so we're going to do that, and we're going to uh, bring out whatever the Lord wants us uh, to share uh, during this study, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, apply these things to our lives. And so in verse 1 in Genesis 10, it says, Now this is the genealogy or family records of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. So after the flood, if you remember in chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And in this chapter, we're going to see that happening. We're going to see them be fruitful. We're going to see them multiplying and fill the earth. But notice that they became fruitful and they began to multiply after the flood. After that old world, that old earth, if you will, was kind of washed away. Many land animals, the land animals and the people who refused to repent. And so, as I mentioned earlier, this is like a a new world for Noah and his family. But The fruitfulness, the multiplication that came after the flood, after things were washed away. And I bring that up because fruitfulness in our lives often occurs after things are washed away. For example, now that we have received the forgiveness of sin, in other words, now that our sins have been washed away, We can move forward and we can have a fruitful spiritual life. In fact, we could even multiply in the sense that now we're empowered to go out and be effective witnesses for him sharing the gospel. When did that happen? After we were washed, after the old things were washed away. Also, after you have allowed the Lord to help you to overcome a struggle. In other words, that struggle of sin, even as a believer that maybe you've been dealing with for some time after the Lord dealt with it, or if you will, washed it away from your life and gave you victory over that. Now you find that you can be fruitful. You understand that it's not you creating the fruit, that this is called the fruit of the Spirit, Now you've gotten to that point to where you are yielding to the spirit and there is fruitfulness because you allow the Lord to deal with or, like I said, if you will, wash away whatever struggles you were having with a certain type of sin. And get this to make it practical. Practical even more practical. We we talked about spiritual things and, and yes, what I'm about to say is spiritual but but I just wonder tonight and I'll put this in the form of a question and the question is, could it be that God wants to remove some type of distraction from your life? Is it, is it possible that, that, that maybe you're not fruitful because you're not allowing him to, to wash away whatever distractions there may be? Maybe it's a type of relationship that the Lord has been trying to pull you away from, but yet and still you keep getting involved with this person that God is trying to pull you away from because they are no good for you. You won't allow him to wash that away. And so you are lacking that spiritual fruitfulness in your life. You are not able to move forward as long as you don't let God do what he wants to do. And remove the distractions. Wash away the distractions, if you will. Could that be something in some of our lives tonight? In verses 2 through 5, it says the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, uh, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, uh, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim, or Dodanim. And from these, it says in verse 5, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. And so the coastland peoples, as the New Living Translation says, it's the, these are the seafaring peoples. And so these are those who lived in lands around the Mediterranean Sea, the descendants of Japheth. So they were divided, everyone according to his language, according to their families or clans, into their nations. You see, Japheth, by way of reminder, is one of Joseph, not Joseph, but one of Noah's sons. And these are Japheth's sons that we see here. Japheth, by the way, he settled to the north. He settled in Asia Minor and into the European areas of today. And some would even add that Japheth was the father of the Indo-European peoples. That is, these are those who stretch from India to the shores of Western Europe, descendants of Japheth. And so therefore, these descendants of Japheth, they, in other words, they spread all over Europe with one major branch. As I reiterate, heading eastward into Persia and India. And then Gomer, one of his sons, is the ancestor of the uh, Sumerians. And then uh, in regard to Gomer... Um, you know, the, they would say these are uh, the Germanic people. They would come from them, and some even add um, that you know more of the Western European people came from Gomer, which would include the French, the Spanish, the Celtic settlers, and Magog. By the way, another one that's named is present-day Russia, uh, Madai. He became the Medes or those in the area of the Caspian Sea, and they populated what's now known as Iran and Iraq, and then Javan will become the Greeks, or he is the forefather of the Greeks. And Tubal and Meshach and Magog, by the way, as we go back there, are believed to be those in Russia. They settle in the far north of Europe, in other words, and we'll see in the scriptures later on, uh, if you continue to read through the scriptures in Ezekiel 38, for example, you'll see that Russia is going to play a part in the last days in coming against the nation of Israel. And then you have Tyrus. These are the seafaring people in the Aegean Sea between Turkey and Greece. You see this Gomer who's one of uh, Japheth's sons. His sons are listed in verse 3. Ashkenaz, Rifath, Togarma, Targarma is the ancestor of the Armenians of today. And then you have, you know, Javan here, like I said, uh, um, you know, the forefather of the Greeks. And so you have Elisha, these are the Greeks, you have Tarshish, these are probably those in Spain or even North Africa. Then you have Kittim, or these are those from the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea, if you have a Bible map. And then you have Dodanim, who are of the island of Rhodes near Greece. And then in verse 5, it kind of gives you a hint of the dispersion that we're going to see in chapter 11 of Genesis. And this dispersion is going to be uh, uh, some type of separation that's going to happen at the Tower of Babel. Lord willing, we'll get to that in the next study. But in verses 6 and 7, you have the sons of Ham. And the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Saptah, Rehama, and Saptekah. And the sons of Rehama were Sheba and Dedan. And so in regard to Sheba and Dedan, some of their descendants were the people around the Red Sea in southern Arabia. And so Ham, by the way, Uh, if you don't recall, is another one of Noah's sons. He's the youngest of the three, according to Genesis chapter 9, verse 24. Now, remember that Ham is the one who disrespected his father Noah when Noah was drunk and he was laying down naked. Because Ham, he saw his father naked, and we covered that in the previous study. And then he went and told his brothers, uh, Japheth and Shem about it, but he didn't do anything about it. So he disrespected his father. He probably made fun of him. And so Ham's sons are listed here in these verses we just covered. And the descendants of Ham, by the way, settled in the area of Africa and to the east in Saudi Arabia and up into Canaan. And so, Lord willing, in the uh, next study, we'll have a map. And so we won't have one today, but I do plan on having a map so you can kind of visualize it a little better. Uh, But Cush, by the way, is the progenitor of the Ethiopian people. Mizraim was the progenitor of the Egyptian people. So Egypt is also called the land of Ham. Now, for example, as we look at Psalm 105, verse 23, it says that Israel Also came into Egypt, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. And so, put, by the way, is Libya. And so, this is applied to the region of North Africa west of Egypt. And then you have Canaan. Uh, This refers to the Phoenicians in the area of Tyre and Sidon in the land of Canaan. And so Canaan, they're going to inhabit the land that the Lord is going to promise to the Israelites. And so where the nation of Israel is now, that's where the descendants of Canaan were located. But the Lord went before them or, well, according to where we are now, hasn't happened yet. But in history, it's already happened. But the Lord will go before them and he's going to defeat uh, the Canaanites. It's going to be a type of judgment. So they're given hundreds of years to repent. They, they don't. And so what you see there is not as some in the world would call, oh, this is a genocide. The, you know, God is just murdering people. No, it's judgment. And he was using the Israelites as his tools of judgment. But get this, later on when Israel would disobey, God would use other nations to chastise them as well. And so Israel were not, they weren't um, exempt from facing chastisement and judgment from the Lord. And so Cush, one of Ham's sons, uh, we see that his sons are listed in verse 7. We see Seba, this is upper Egypt. Um, Havilah or Havilah is probably Ethiopia. Sabta is the western shore of the Persian Gulf. Rehama is southern Arabia. Saptaka is the area of southern Arabia. Um, as well. So kind of there. Sheba and Dedan, sons of Rehama, are um, in the South and North Arabia respectively. So it's getting a little specific there. And so in verses 8 through 12, we'll see more We'll see more of one of the descendants of Cush. And so here we get to like, like a tiny parenthesis here. And so there's some material here that we can cover. And so in verse 8, Genesis 10, it says that Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth, on the land. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech. Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar, which is Babylonia or Babylon, modern day Iraq. And then in verse 11, it says, from that land, he went to Assyria, northern Mesopotamia, and he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-er, Keilah, and Nimrod also built, in verse 12, resin between Nineveh and Keilah, and that is the principal or great city uh, according to Henry Morris, that means that resin was said to be between Nineveh and Cala so that the entire complex of cities was called a great city. That, In other words, it's a large metropolitan area. You see, Cush, this descendant of Ham, as it points out here in the scriptures, he had a son named Nimrod. Nimrod name, his name means rebellion. And that's something that's important to remember. His name means rebellion rebellion. This Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a hunter in that he searched out and he persuaded people to obey him. And so he was hunting humans in a sense. So not necessarily animals, but he was going after humans to to rule over them, to get them to obey him. He was called a mighty one. In fact, Nimrod was a tyrant. This Nimrod here was the first great leader, or he was the first dictator of a world civilization. The first dictator. He was in rebellion against the Lord. And he started two great empires in the Bible. And in world history, he started the empire in Assyria and also Babylon, and he built cities in both, in both Babylonia and Assyria. And Nineveh, by the way, was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Assyria. And if you've been reading your Bibles, you remember that Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and share God's message because God wanted the people in Nineveh to repent. But Jonah was a reluctant, reluctant reluctant prophet. He didn't want to go. He, he didn't want God to have mercy on them. But that, this is that Nineveh. And so we are seeing the beginning of that. The city was built by this rebellious man, this first world dictator, Nimrod. You know, and many scholars believe that he also began the Babylonian religious system, this false belief system. And so it's awesome that we're doing Genesis and Revelation because uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff that, um, you know, just here in Genesis that you're going to see in Revelation. So you're going to talk about uh, Babylon a lot in the book of Revelation. And so you see it's getting its start here. And so in the, in the book of Revelation, by the way, when it talks about Babylon, You have the economic system, you have political Babylon, and then you have the religious system Babylon. And this is during the, you know, seven year period of tribulation. And so, religious Babylon, the false belief system that's going to exist during the tribulation period, that's going to last up until the halfway point in the tribulation period because the Antichrist is going to set himself up or an image of himself up in the temple, in the rebuilt temple, and he himself is going to claim to be God, and that's going to be what's called the desolation, the abomination of desolation. And so, religious Babylon, as you see in once again, in Revelation, that's, it's, it's going to end at the halfway point, the first three and a half years. But the, the economic, the political Babylon is going to last for the entire seven-year tribulation period. And then Jesus is going to come back with us, his saints, and he's going to put an end to, 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 all, to this age. In other words, this age that is ruled by humans. And so it's good to, to understand how, how this Babylon got its start here And so this man, Nimrod, was a tyrant. And what's interesting about Assyria and Babylon, these empires that Nimrod started, is that God is actually going to use both of those empires to chastise the nation of Israel because of sin. Because they're worshiping idol gods. They're walking in sin. They're living in sin. Disobeying God. And so Assyria is going to be used to chastise the northern kingdom of Israel And then Babylon, that other uh, empire started by Nimrod, is going to be used to chastise Judah. And that's where that temple is going to be destroyed. So this man, this tyrant, was in rebellion against the Lord. And even today, there are some tyrants who are leading countries. There are even some tyrants at your place of employment. There are even, I I hate to say this, there are even some tyrants in the church. However, this this ought not to be in the case of God's kingdom. In fact, in God's kingdom, Jesus says we're to be servants. And so let's look at Matthew 20, uh, verses 20 through 28. And we'll see that we're not to be tyrants, but servants. Now, this set of verses in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 20 through 28, is these verses are near and dear to my heart because when when I asked the Lord when I was, I don't know, maybe 21, 22, if he wants me to to be a minister, a minister of the gospel, preaching the gospel, if he wanted me to be a preacher, in other words, I, I asked him to show me and I said, you know, God, I, I was a little naive at the time. I was like, Lord, show me by, if you want me to do this, because people were telling me, hey, when are you going to answer your calling? When are you going to answer your calling? And I was like, I'm, I'm I haven't gotten anything. I, I'm not doing anything. But it was funny because I was, I was at the time, they voted me as youth pastor, so now I'm in this conundrum, this, this, this situation, and I needed to know, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Do you want me to be a minister of the gospel? And he woke me up out of my sleep, and, and, and these are the verses that he pointed me to. And so it says here in Matthew 20, verse 20, it says, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with their sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. You're going to suffer. You're going to you're going to die just like me. But of course, they're not going to die for the sins of the world but they'll be martyred and so forth. And so, and you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And so somewhere around there, as the Lord uh, woke me up out of my sleep, and I, you know, at the time I didn't know it was the Lord, I just woke up and I, and I wanted to stop there. And so I went to put the Bible down and I just felt this impression to keep reading, keep reading. And and the impression was strong. And so I read these verses beginning in verse 24. I just kept reading like he wanted me to. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. In other words, they're tyrannical over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. He says, "Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many." And so, at that point, it, it clicked. The Lord just called me to the ministry. I, I had the King James version, and so in the King James version, the word serving, is "minister." And I and I asked him to show me by that next Sunday, and it was Saturday night, and it clicked. Well, the Lord just called me, and so. I woke my wife up out of her sleep. Like, hey, the Lord called me, you know, and so I I'm, I'm, I'm woke her up and I was, you know, but along the way, of course, I would have doubts if, if this is really the Lord, but anyway, he confirmed it. But long story short, these, these verses are near and dear to my heart. And as we talk about this tyrant, this Nimrod, unfortunately, like I said, there there's some tyrants in the church, but God, doesn't want it to be that way. In fact, the, the leaders in the church are to be servants. We're to serve one another. We're to follow Christ's example as a servant. And, and so it's not about who's serving me, it's who can I outserve? And I wonder if we have that attitude at this time as believers. Or if we're waiting for somebody to wait on us, hand and feet, just waiting to just do everything that we dictate to them, everything that we force them to do, but no, we're to be servants, the world, the rulers of the Gentiles, the the, the rulers of, uh, that are in this world system, they're going to be that way, but In God's kingdom, some people would say that things are upside down. Where you have, in the world, you have the leaders being served. But in the church, you have the leaders serving. So some people would say that's upside down, but really in God's kingdom, that's right side up. In the world, the world would say in this world system that the way up is to step on people to get to where you want to go. Whereas in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. Mm-hmm. Humble ourselves before the Lord. It says that he, he will be the one to lift you up. Mm-hmm. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Mizraim, and these will be the ancestors of the Egyptians or Egypt. They begot Ludum, Anamim, Anamim. Um, Leabim, Naphtuhim, uh, Pathrusim, and Kaluhim. You guys can laugh, I was just joking at the beginning. Uh, it says, From whom came the Philistines and Kaphtarim? And so, in one version of the Bible, it says, The Pathrusim and the Kasluhim, um, from whom came the uh, Philistines? And then outside of the parentheses, it says, And Kaphtarim. And so you see that in various versions. So if you have the New King James Version, the parentheses will be placed in different spots if you're to read it in different versions, just a heads up. But Mizraim is another one of Ham's sons. And his sons are listed in verses 13 and 14, of course. And so, so the Pathrusim, or the Pathrusim, however you want to pronounce it, they, they dwelt in Upper Egypt and Pathros. And then the Philistines, um, who are well known later in biblical history, they came out of the. Kasluhim or Kasluhim. Then there's another group, the Kapturim. They are also identified in the Bible with the Philistines, if you're keeping track. And so in verses 15 through 18, now you have Canaan. You have this another son of Ham. He begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And Heth, by the way, is the ancestor of the Hittites, one of those ites in the land of Canaan. And then you have the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite. These are descendants of Canaan. The Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the Zimmerite, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families or clans of the Canaanites were dispersed. And so this other son of Ham, Canaan, uh, was the one that Noah had prophesied this curse upon. Back in Genesis chapter 9. And so again, we see his descendants here. You see, Sidon, by the way, became a Phoenician city. The Hittites spread to Asia Minor, and perhaps the Sinites, maybe they're the ones that spread to China, many Bible scholars believe. And in verse 19, it says, And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then as you go east towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Atma, and Zeboim, as far as Latia. And so their border was from the north of Caesarea down to Gaza. And Sodom and Gomorrah, by the way, were on the south side of the Dead Sea. And of course, there's an interesting story about Sodom and Gomorrah later on in Genesis. Lord willing, we get there. Unless the rapture happens first. But in verse 20, it says, these were the sons or descendants of Ham. So wrapping everything up about Ham, according to their families or clans, according to their languages in their lands and in their nations. And so the descendants of Ham, just to sum it up, they settled primarily in the south. But some made it up to Canaan, uh, where Israel dwells today, or even the coastland and up to Lebanon. And in verse 21, we're back in Genesis 10. It says, and children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the older. See, Shem, the third son of Noah. You see, we're going to see his descendants now. So this is important because this is the lineage that Jesus Christ will come through according to his humanity. And when you read the King James Version and the New King James Version, it states, as it says here, as I just read, it states that Japheth is the older brother. But other translations state that Shem is the older brother of Japheth. Um, you know, one Bible scholar, Henry Morris, he sums it up this way. He says some of the later versions reject the authorized version, King James Version, rendering at this point, And translate the phrase as Shem, the elder brother of Japheth. However, the Masoretic text favors the authorized version translation. And the Masoretic text is a tradition of the, some of the Hebrew copies. And so the Masoretic text, they favor the, the, the authorized King James version translation. And it says, and also this fits better in the entire context. So in other words, he's saying that um, it should read or it is correct to read it as that, and you know, Japheth is the elder brother of Shem. And then Eber, by the way, Um, just so you know, this is not Shem's direct son as we'll see. And remember the the genealogies, they usually don't list every single person. So sometimes they're going to skip a generation or two because, uh, you know, there, there are people that are insignificant to the story. And Eber's name, focusing on that name, is translated Hebrew. Eber is translated Hebrew. Hebrew means to cross over. In Genesis chapter 14, you'll see that Abram, short for Abraham, Abraham's previous name, Abram is called a Hebrew. And we'll get to that later. But verse 22, it says, the sons of Shem were Elam. So now get specific. Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. And so these are all places a little further to the north. Uh, like Babylon, Asher. Asher is probably the founder of the Assyrians. And remember, as we talked about earlier in Genesis 10, 11, Nimrod and his followers, they later invaded the land of Asher and they founded Nineveh, which will become the capital city of Assyria. And then in verse 23, you have the sons of Aram, one of Shem's sons. They were Uz or Uz, Hul, um, Gether and Mash. And so what's interesting about Uz is that if you read Job chapter one, verse one, you'll see that Job came from the land of Uz. And so that's something that stands out about that one. And in verse 24, you have Arphaxad, another one of Shem's sons. He begot Salah and Salah begat Eber. And so we talked about Eber and, and Eber, or Heber, as some would have in some translations or versions, means, again, the region beyond. The region beyond. And so Abram was a Hebrew. He was from the region beyond. And verse 25, it says that to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided and his brother's name was Jock Tan. And so leg names mean division or divided, and Joktan means a small thing or smallness. And so where it says that the earth was divided, it's not necessarily talking about uh, the different continents moving or whatever here, but it's more of a reference to chapter 11 when those people groups are going to be uh, divided and, you know, they're going to go where their language is spoken, their new language is spoken and so forth as God scrambles the language. As a part of judgment. And so that division that we're going to see in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, it happened during Peleg's time. In verses 29 through, or 26 through 29, Genesis 10, it says, Joktan begot Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jira, Hadarah, Uzal, Dikla, Obal or Ebal, Abimeel, Sheba. Ophir, Havilah, or Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan, and their dwelling place or settlements was from Mesha as you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons or descendants of Shem, according to their families or clans, according to their languages, and their lands, according to their nations. And so Joktan, this brother of Peleg and son of Eber, has his sons listed in verses 26 through 29. All of these sons probably settled in Arabia. And Misha is a region marking off the limits of the territory of the Joktanites when they first settled in Arabia. And then what's interesting about Jobab is that some Bible scholars believe that this is actually Job of the Bible, <clears throat> that Job will be short for Jobab. And so we don't have 100% proof, but it could be. Verse 32, Genesis 10, we're almost there. These were the families or clans of the sons of Noah, according to their generations or descendants in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. And so now we are ready for chapter 11. It's in chapter 11. We're going to see the reason for this division. So that's the next study, by the way, not tonight. But we see from the word of God, this is the point. You see from the word of God that there's truly one race. And that one race, you heard it said before, is the human race. And so, yes, we speak different languages. We make, we eat different types of foods, we live in different places, have different skin tones, have different eye colors, have different hair textures. We have these different differences about us. But yet the scriptures show us clearly that we are from one blood, and this is something in acts. Uh, Chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, for example, there's something there. And it says that he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he's determined. That means that God has decided beforehand their pre-appointed time. So all of the nations, all of the people groups you see on this earth. Notice I'm not using the word race. I'll probably use ethnic groups or people groups. No. So all of the nations, the people groups or ethnic groups. According to the way God decided beforehand. It says that they have their pre-appointed times. In other words, God set the time of their rise and fall. God is the one who raises up nations and and he can also cause those nations to fall. He also set the boundaries or dwellings or, or their land. You know, God did that. He sets their boundaries so that they should seek the Lord. And the hope that they might grope for him. In other words, so that they may may feel their way toward God and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And so God created all of these nations. All of these, he made allowances for all of these people groups. And so, yes, uh, Adam and Eve. And then, of course, you had Noah and and his three sons. You know, they, they had all the genes necessary within them for the various looks that we have, for the various hair textures that we have, and so forth. So God decided beforehand these, these nations, where they're gonna be, what are their borders gonna be? When are they gonna rise and fall? How long these nations are gonna last? And He wants these nations to 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 seek Him. He wants them to grope for him, to reach out to him. God is not far from them. He's not far from each and every one of us, the scriptures tell us. And because we are from one blood, as the scriptures tell us, there's, there's no ethnic group or people group or family group, whatever you want to call it, that should think it's better than the other one. We're from one blood, the scripture tells us, and and we see that here, that, that we've all descended from Adam and Eve, and then we've all descended from Noah and at least one of his three sons from one blood. We shouldn't think that we're better than another group. Yes, be thankful. Okay, God, I'm thankful for whom you made me to be, but that doesn't mean you have to put someone else down. And despite what the culture says, Yes, anybody could be a racist. Anybody could be full of pride and, and hate. And that, of course, is a product of the sin nature. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, no matter what people group you belong to, yes, this sin nature belongs to all of us because we're a descendant of Adam. The first Adam. And hopefully you're a part of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And so we all have a sin nature. Despite what language you speak. Despite if you have long hair, short hair, a bald head, whatever it may be. And I'm inching towards more of the bald head. I, I, I see you trying to laugh. Hold it. She's trying to hold it in. My wife is going to tease me. I know she is. But but we've all sinned, not, not just have a sin nature, but we've all have sinned on top of that. And we've all, have, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need a savior despite what, what, what group, what people group you belong to. You now, what's interesting about me is that you know, I, I did this DNA test because I've always heard stories of what I'm mixed with and, and, you know, growing up, you know, this family says this, this family member says that. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to get down to it. I need, I need to know the truth. I, I need to know what's up with this. But, but all I know is that my, well, I know more now and I'll share that with you. But my dad's side, on my father's side, my father is from Belize, right? And, and my mom is from Alabama, <laughs> and they met in Los Angeles. So I'm born and raised in LA, Cedars-Sinai Hospital, right? So you got this Belizean man and and, and a woman from Alabama, you know, get together, and and here I am. hear stories growing up, okay, all these things I'm mixed with. So so I wanted to do this DNA test. My, my, My wife got one for me for Christmas one time, and and all I could say is that mine, when they looked at the map, it was colorful. Just, just from everywhere. My, my wife, you know, she had a couple of places. And my kids, they looked at mine. They looked at hers. They said, Mom, yours is boring. You know, th- you know daddy's, you know. So I'm seeing, you know, Africa, you know, uh, mostly the, the Nigerians so forth, Igbo tribe. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. And then I look at Indian from India. So that's mixed in, then Native American. And then on top of that, Irish. And then I saw a little Filipino, a small percentage. And so the Lord blessed me to where, uh, you know, I have this interesting look. I remember growing up, some people thought I was Puerto Rican. I'm like, no, I'm not Puerto Rican. And then I go over to Israel in 2017 you know, the Orthodox, Orthodox Jew, Jewish men, they don't really talk to us too much. But one of them, I was w- walking down the street and, and the guy, he got right off the bus. He had a black hat on, his, you know, curled down his face. And he walked right up next to me and he asked me, where are you from? And I said, Arizona. Oh, Arizona. You know, so, so I, I got this interesting look. It's all mixed up. I could fit in different places. Maybe the Lord... You know, did that not maybe. He did that on purpose. That I could fit in everywhere. But but of course, you know, I you know, grew up in LA and grew up around mostly um, you know, some people say, you know, black people. Um, and so some people call say African American, they use different terms. And so but yeah, no, I'm 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 mixed. And so, you know, I have no business being prejudiced against anybody. <laughs> and so, but, but, but it doesn't matter. And many of us are like that, have these different backgrounds, these interesting, diff, interesting backgrounds, different languages and so forth. But yet and still, born with a sinful nature, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a savior. We, we all need Jesus. And, and an interesting thing about our savior is that he took upon himself a body as a Jewish man. But, but remember, he is fully man. So focus on man. Focus on, focus on the fact that he is human. In other words, yes, he came as a, as a Jewish man, but he came to help the human race. And so don't be determined to win these arguments, these crazy arguments of what color Jesus is. But, but all you need to do is be thankful that his blood is red and his blood was shed. Amen. 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 That, that's what we need to be thankful for. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father's blood. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what we should be happy about. That's what we should be concerned with. I don't care what, what Jesus looked like physically. Yes, it's interesting, uh, but I care more about what he did for me. Uh, I care about the fact that, that he shed his blood on that cross on Calvary because I was in dire straits, because you were in a bad situation, because you had a spiritual debt that you cannot pay off unless you are uh, unless you are eternally dead. That means eternally separated from God in a place called hell because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but praise God that the gift of life is, 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 eternal. It's in Christ Jesus. All because of the fact that he redeemed us. He, he paid the price for our sin. He set us free from slavery to sin. And he did that with his blood. He didn't do that with his skin color. He didn't do that with his hair texture. He didn't do that with his language. He didn't do that with his beard. No, he paid the price with his blood. And that was holy blood that was shed. That was the blood of God that was shed. And the only way God could shed blood is if he could take upon a human body. And that's what Jesus did. He became a member of the human race. And so that's something we need to be thankful for. That's something that that we need to praise him for. And if there's anything to argue about when it comes to race and all this stuff, whatever Jesus was, however he looked, we should excuse ourselves from that and and go back to the fact that he died for our sins. That he redeemed us. You see, and in the church, as believers, the body of Christ, I'm going to tell you that none of these people group differences matter. None of it matter. We may have different DNA due to our earthly families. But, but as believers, we're, we're related spiritually by the blood of Jesus. The same blood was shed for all of us. The same blood cleanses all of us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about the church, people who repented and placed their trust in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we are God's children through faith in Christ. We have been baptized into Christ by faith in Christ. In other words, being baptized into Christ means that we have been immersed in Christ. We are now identified with Christ through faith in Christ. If you've done that, then you are a little s son of God. You're a child of God. And so those cultural differences, the the, the people group differences, whether you're a Jew or, or a Gentile, it doesn't matter the body of Christ. This is talking about salvation, just to put it in context. Some people would use this to talk about roles in church. This is not talking about a role in the church. This is talking about salvation. We all stand on, on equal ground, equal footing in the sight of God. So as believers, we are one body. When it comes to salvation, we have the same standing, sons of God. And not only, not only that, but the scriptures tell us that we're heirs, that we are co-heirs with Christ. And as believers, we should be leading the charge when it comes to the issue of different people groups getting along. The scriptures call us salt and light. We should bring the seasoning to the world, in other words. We should bring light to the darkness because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And God, of course, should get the glory. So if we can't get along within the church, even though we may be physically from different people groups, how do we expect the world to do it? We should be leading the charge, not being a part of the problem. And finally, we should be fulfilling the Great Commission. We should be fulfilling the Great Commission. Why do I bring that up as the... As the worship team takes the stage, I bring it up because in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, now this is the resurrected Savior, the resurrected Christ. He says to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, he's saying to make pupils or students or followers of all the nations. So it doesn't matter what their hair texture looks like. Doesn't matter how light their skin is, how dark their skin is. It doesn't matter what language they speak or how they dress. Doesn't matter what type of food they eat. But Jesus says, go and make followers, go and make students of all the nations, which implies that if we're gonna make disciples, if we're gonna make students, if we're gonna make followers from all these different people groups, Then they first need to hear the gospels so they must be so that they can become a son of God, a child of God first. And then we can teach them and help them grow in the word and be a true follower of Christ. And it says in baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit. And notice that it doesn't have an S at the end of name. And that's because the father, son and the Holy Spirit are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit form what we call the Trinity. uh, Three and one. One times one times one, you still get one if you make that a mathematical problem. And so it baptized them in the name of the Father. And so after a person put his or her trust in Christ, now it calls for water baptism, not for salvation purposes but it's almost like as I explained to one gentleman it's almost like you, you you know putting a ring on the finger and so you go through the wedding ceremony and you get married you say your vows and technically you're married and the ring whether the ring is on or not you are still married but the ring is a sign that hey I'm in this committed relationship with someone and so, so it is with water baptism, you, you are saved the moment you repent and put your trust in Christ and the water baptism is like a ring. You are not afraid. You are, you are not ashamed to identify with Christ. You are not ashamed to identify with this death, burial, and resurrection that says, yes, the old me that used to live a sinful life is now dead. And the new me, as you identify with Christ, has now risen out of the water and I'm going to walk in this newness of life I'm going to be more like Christ-like through faith in him and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we make disciples of these nations. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that is encouraging, that as he tells us to share the gospel with the nations, as he tells us to make disciples of the nation, is that we have this one who shed his blood for us, who's going to be with us until the end of the age. And so as believers, we don't have time to be prejudiced. As believers, we don't have time for racism because we should be so busy and so mindset on sharing the gospel with the various people groups because that is what we have been called to because we serve what is called a missional God. Our God is a missional God from eternity. It is his plan to reach all the nations, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so if we serve a missional God, amen. So if we serve a missional God, we should be missional as well. Amen. And there is no human, if there's anything you take with you tonight, You can forget everything else, all those names that I stumbled over. If you don't take anything with you, I want you to remember this, that there is no human, no human that God does not want to save. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be equipped and to go out and be ready to witness to share the gospel with whomever. Lord, and if we have any prejudices or anything, convict us of that and give us victory over it and forgive us of that, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that as we leave this place and not your presence, that you give us traveling grace on the way home.